Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue, where we head to networking's curiosity shop and pick out the most interesting objects to chat about. I am Ethan Banks, your host today. You can follow me at EC Banks and the show, of course, at Packet Pushers. Let's introduce today's topic. If I ask you, what is BGP? You might say that BGP is Border Gateway Protocol. It's the routing protocol that glues the internet together, and big, huge companies and service providers use complex BGP policies to govern traffic flowing across their networks. BGP lets you perform some clever routing tricks that you can't really do with an interior gateway routing protocol like OSPF or EIGRP. And all of that is more or less true. I mean, I'll even quote an RFC here because I'm feeling all fancy today. So to quote RFC 4271, the primary function of a BGP speaking system is to exchange network reachability information with other BGP systems. This network reachability information includes information on the list of autonomous systems, ASs, that reachability information traverses. This information is sufficient for constructing a graph of AS connectivity for this reachability from which routing loops may be pruned and at the AS level some policy decisions may be enforced. Okay, so RFC 4271 tells us that BGP is primarily for telling BGP speakers what networks are reachable via what autonomous systems. And if you dig a little deeper, you find that that information is learned via the exchange of NLRIs, Network Layer Reachability Information Messages. Now, here is the big deal with BGP. An NLRI could contain any sort of information An NLRI doesn't have to contain an IP prefix with reachability information, you you know, a route. For instance, RFC 4684 defines NLRIs that contain route target information. RFC 4760 talks about NLRIs for multi-protocol BGP. RFC 7432 defines NLRIs for eVPN. And once you realize this, BGP becomes more than just a routing protocol. BGP can be used to share all sorts of information between BGP speakers to influence their forwarding decisions. And the topic of our conversation today is RSE 5575 BGP Flow Spec. BGP Flow Spec defines a specific BGP NLRI defining a flow. What do BGP speakers do with this flow information? And our guest today is here to explain that to us. Justin Ryburn, thanks for joining us on Packet Pushers today, and please introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks, Ethan, and thanks for having me. Uh, As you mentioned, my name is Justin Ryburn. I'm a consulting engineer with Juniper Networks. I've been with Juniper for about nine years, uh, doing both pre-sales and post-sales engineering type of roles. But uh, I've been around the networking industry for about 20 years, focused mostly on service provider and carrier type of companies. And you're a bit of a flow spec evangelist, I think you would say. Yeah, you know, early on in my career working for service providers, I had to deal with these DOS attacks, which we'll get into in a little bit on what exactly that means, and had to get paged at 2 o'clock in the morning to get up and deal with them, fix them, get our customers back up. And I remember thinking back then, there has got to be a better way than this to, to, to deal with these type of attacks. And so, you know, over the years, as FlowSpec has been ratified by the ITF and the RFC that you mentioned a minute ago, I started thinking, you know, this seems to be the better way I wish I had back when I was dealing with this years ago. So I kind of took this up as a thing to talk more about. I want to hear, you know, want more people to know about it, know that it's out there so we can try and make it better over time. That's kind of my goal. Well, okay. You mentioned DOS attacks, denial of service attacks. Why don't we start right there to set the foundation? What is a denial of service attack? Sure. So, I mean, at a high level, what a denial of service attack is any type of attack that 
blocks or denies the use of a legitimate resource. In networking terms, what that usually means is that we're consuming the resources on either the server or on the network in between uh, with an attack such that the users can't get to that resource. For servers, you normally see something like filling up the TCP session table on the server uh, so that the legitimate users can't go and get that web page, for example. Since those type of attacks can usually be carried out with small packets, you'll normally hear these type of attacks referred to as what they call low and slow uh, because they're just a slow, small stream of these TCP send requests that fill up the TCP session table on the server. So so quick little story about that. Uh, I used to work for a payment services network, and uh, one day we were dealing with a problem where at certain times of the day, the inbound proxy service, the customer-facing proxy service that would handle web requests for payment transactions would no longer be able to handle uh, a certain number of transactions. They'd, they'd, be, they'd go for thousands, and all of a sudden they were just done. It's like, what is going on? Are we being DOSed? What is it? And you know, long story short, we were not being DOSed. It was just that we needed to assign more sockets in the Apache engine uh, to be available. We just happened to be filling up at that time of day because one of our customers was batching out, and it was just killing us. But uh, anyway, yes, you you brought back fond memories, Justin. So, so server server filling up the server sockets that it can't accept any more incoming connections, tying it up with junk requests, basically. That low and slow attack is one way for the network. Then, yeah, for the network, you you normally see what we call volumetric attacks, and essentially what that is is an attacker will flood the network with more traffic than it could possibly handle. So if you have a one gig or a ten gig link in the network, they're sending more than the one gig or the ten gig of traffic that that link is capable of handling you know so either either any type really at a high level any type of attack that blocks the user's request from getting through whether it's quite honestly whether it's intentional or not usually we refer to it as attack but i've heard people joke about how they dos themselves because they either send too much traffic or like you mentioned they just don't have enough resources at yeah. that particular time to handle the level right that's pretty so. much what i described yeah now, I mean, one gig or 10 gig, I think the, the thing about that is it's not hard to overwhelm a, a link like that these days. No, for sure. And, you know, we as network engineers think in terms of big circuits, you know, one gig, 10 gig, even these days, 40 gig and 100 gig. But if you really think about like access circuits that a lot of people have, whether it's DSL to the home or whatever, if, you know, that, those don't take anything to fill up. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so there's the, there's a DOS attack, but of course we also read about DDoS, distributed denial of service attacks. Uh, are, do you make a distinction between those two? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the distinction is critical to the conversation, but normally what that second D in, in the DDoS stands for is distributed, and what that means is the source of the attack is widely distributed. So what a lot of times you'll see is a hacker will get what they call bots, which are essentially machines that they have loaded, installed malware one way or another, either through people clicking on ads that they shouldn't have and downloading malware and their machine becomes compromised, something along those lines. And then the attacker will take these compromised machines, take control of them and have that that machine send attack traffic to the resource that they're trying to DOS attack. So, you know, in the case of let's just call it a web server, the person attacking it may not just be a single person. It may be thousands of machines coming from all over the internet, filling up that pipe or filling up the TCP session table on that server. And this is where you hear about command and control networks where there's some uh, bot or some malware infested server or a computer on your network, your local network acting as a bot, 
under the uh, uh, command of some remote host that's controlling them. And I know that's one of the common detection techniques is, ah, this thing appears to be a part of a CNC network, command and control. Yep, exactly. Well, okay. So if I've got, I'm undergoing a denial of service attack. You know, I'm someone who's facing this situation. I'm not able to serve up resources to my customers. Uh, How do I deal with this problem? How do I defend against this? Yeah, so there's a few methods that we have had as an industry before FlowSpec showed up on the scene. And I think probably the first and most widely used historically was the manual call for help, where if you're a company and you have a web server and you're buying a circuit from your provider, you call up your provider and say, hey, I'm being attacked. Please help me. Please block this. And depending on what your relationship is with your provider, that may or may not be a short conversation. I bet that's a dollar-defined conversation right there. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. So, okay, well, at that point, I'm totally at the mercy of my ISP being willing to help me. What else can I do? Well, and, and not only being willing to help you, you also have the problem of getting somebody at your provider on the phone who knows how to help you because they have to have the knowledge to know how to go into their edge routers, um, find the attack, put in a filter or an access list that's going to block that attack and have the enable access to do that because not everybody at every provider has access to make config changes to the network for for good reasons. So there's a number of factors there. You have to find the expertise at the ISP, and then you've got to find you know the process within the ISP that's going to allow that expert within there to make the necessary change. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm really smiling big. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so what What else could I do? The next kind of step we took in the evolution as an industry was what we call destination remote trigger black hole. You'll see it at acronym DRTBH. And what this really means is the service provider has, if they're running BGP with the customer, the company who's under attack, they allow them to advertise them via BGP a route with a special community on it. Um, Communities are essentially just ways to tag your routes uh, between different AS numbers on the internet. They tag it with this special community, which tells the service provider for this one route that I'm advertising you, which is usually a host route, route that to null zero or to discard. So basically black hole any traffic destined to this slash 32 that I'm sending you based on the community that I'm sending you via BGP. So the remote trigger is because me as the person being attacked is sending that back to the ISP, and the black hole is the routing to null. Correct. Yep. And one of the struggles with that is, you know, first of all, you, your provider has to already have that configured in their network and ready to go. You have to know what community you're going to be sending to your provider. You have to be running BGP with your provider. And quite honestly, you're taking that destination offline. So we, we kind of joke that that's completing the attack, right? Because you're, yeah. you're, you're taking because that IP you're- and it's making it no longer reachable on the internet. You're black holing everything. It's coming into the ISP. The black the uh, ISP is killing it, and but then no one can get to anything, even legitimate traffic on that one. On host. that one host, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's so uh, presumably you, that slash thirty two you sent in when you uh, did the RTBH. Right. So if you're running a number of services that are on different IP addresses, and you just and your your circuit with your provider is full. Doing that may help with the collateral damage, right? You take that one slash 32 off, but the attack traffic goes away. So all of your other resources that are on that same subnet are up, you know, if that's the type of attack that you're you're trying to prevent. So that's ugly. But then we had another evolution here. Kind of the, the next evolution was what's called source remote trigger black hole. And it's somewhat similar to what we did with the destination, except that in this case, we're going to 
block the source. Normally, we're back to the customer of the provider calling the provider and asking them to install this because this is something that normally a provider wouldn't allow their, their customer to advertise to them. And the reason is what we're actually doing is blocking the source as opposed to blocking the destination. So the provider would install a route in something like a route server that advertises out to all of their edge routers a discard route for the source of the of the traffic, and then that combined with uh, unicast reverse path forwarding URPF or source of address validation, each vendor calls it something different. Uh, those two things combined basically drop the traffic based on its source when it enters the service provider's network at the edge of the network. Which is better. You're still going to drop some legitimate traffic potentially, especially in a world of PAT. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, this works for a denial of service attack where you have a single or a small number of sources. But if you have a truly distributed uh, attack, like somebody using a CNC, you know, bot network, this is probably not scalable, right? You'd have to have a route for every single one of those thousands of sources, and that's just not feasible. From an ISP perspective, they'd have to be installing some massive ACL into... that's They, they can't scale that internally very well. Correct. Uh, okay. So these work to a degree um, with some major drawbacks, and so I think that sets the stage for... BGP flow spec as yet another evolution in a way to mitigate DOS attacks. So why don't you set this up for us? What is BGP flow spec? Sure. So, you know, we'll start with, it's an IETF standard. Uh, I think you mentioned it's RFC 5575 that originally ratified it. What the RFC really says, if you go and read through all of the the language in it is that we're going to define a new NLRI, like you mentioned in the intro, is essentially what BGP defines for how we advertise information in BGP. And the new NLRI within uh, BGP flow spec is going to describe the parameters of a flow of the attack traffic. So what do we what do I mean by flow? That's essentially a source IP address, a destination IP address, source port, destination port, all the information that kind of classifies what the attack looks like. So so you're able to define something that's that's much more granular rather than a definition that is limited to an IP address. You're now saying, "Oh, it's not just an IP address. It's an IP address uh, source, an IP address destination, and then the source and destination ports." So you can even distinguish conversations, a specific conversations flowing between those two uh, IPs. So you're really able to now define a specific flow of traffic that I well, I guess in the context of what we're talking about here, attack traffic. And the yeah. same IP address pair, source and destination, could have a different conversation going on that's legitimate, potentially. And uh, you, you can make very fine-grained distinctions then. Yeah, and I mean, that's really the the big deal here with FlowSpec, is that's the goal, right? We want to get the same granularity because we're trying to only block attack traffic, right? We're trying to not become part of the problem here, right? And the Part of the struggle we had with DRTBH and SRTBH is we're sort of completing the 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 attack the the attack because we're taking legitimate traffic down along with the attack traffic. And what we're trying to accomplish with flow spec, and it's not perfect either. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what we're trying to accomplish is get much more granular and surgical on what traffic we actually block. So does BGP flow spec just define the Flow, because I'm thinking about open flow here, which is a, which is a, a departure, nothing to do with BGP. If you've listened to packet pushers for a long time, you know that open flow defines flows in various ways, and then usually an action, something that you can do with that flow. Does flow spec also define an action? 
Yeah, it does. So the NLRI itself just specifies what flow we want to take action on. And then attached to the the route or the NLRI information that BGP is announcing is a BGP community. And the BGP community is what's going to actually tell you what action you're going to take. And in the initial RFC, the main things that were defined were we can either rate limit that traffic or we can rate limit it to zero, which basically means we're dropping that traffic. We can change the QoS markings on it, basically mark it as discard eligible traffic. If our network fills up and we have to drop something, let's drop this attack traffic first. Or we can redirect it into something like a VPN, layer three VPN, VRF. For inspection or something like that? Yeah, the idea with that is that we could then redirect that traffic to a scrubbing center, either a scrubbing center that the service provider maintains and owns, or they may have a contract with a company who provides a scrubbing center. So, for example, we may want to have our flow spec take an entire slash 24 of traffic that's both legitimate and attack traffic and just run all of that through some sort of IDP appliance that's going to do application layer filtering of the attack traffic and get much more granular than even flow spec can do, take the attack traffic out and then deliver the legitimate traffic back to the the end device. Those actions are, are interesting to me. They remind me very much of policers, where depending if you have a traffic that matches a specific, a specific policer, you could pass the traffic through, you could rate limit it uh, very severely, you can change the cost marking, and so on. I suppose that uh, matches up pretty well with silicon we have and routers that would be dealing with this? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, if you think about it, what we're really doing here is policy-based routing or filter-based forwarding, depending on you know which term you want to use. But that's essentially what we're doing, right? We're taking a look at traffic, we're matching that traffic, and then taking some action beyond what would be our normal routing pro- protocol action on that traffic, dropping it or marking it or redirecting it or whatever. Okay, BGP flow spec really just communicates the flows that we want to take this action on, the flows in the community, but it doesn't detect that I'm under attack. It's just the mechanism to communicate what we think are the nasty bits of flow that we want to do something with. How do I actually get the flow information into BGP to begin with? Yeah, so I guess we, we've sort of started here talking about phase two, and phase one really would be how do you how do you figure out you're under attack and how do you figure out what that attack looks like, right? Mm. And so there are different methods for doing this. Most customers I have talked to, most providers that I have talked to are using something like an S-Flow or a NetFlow IP fix, some sort of flow data that they're exporting from their routers and their switches, um, maybe even their firewalls to to some sort of tool that's analyzing that flow data. And normally, the tools that, that analyze the data, the way they detect attack is they'll do what they call a baseline of the network traffic. So they'll take a look at under normal conditions, non-attack conditions, what type of traffic do I normally have on my links? You know, If I'm a large provider versus a small provider, that may be orders of magnitude different. But for my particular network, there's something I would consider to be normal traffic, right? And then when we see a, a huge spike in that, we consider that to be an anomaly. And that anomaly, we assume, from at least at the beginning, is an attack. And we take a look at the anomaly, what type of traffic is that? Did I just have a huge spike in... DNS traffic, right? Am I under a DNS, what they call DNS amplification attack? If I normally have, let's say, let's call it 200 meg of DNS traffic, and all of a sudden I now have 10 gig of DNS traffic, chances are 
I'm under a DNS yeah, amplification we're, attack. We're way right? out of baseline. We know what our normal flow is, and oh wow, okay, so this okay, but and so but again, there's some system, some outbound, something that doesn't have anything to do with BGP flow spec at this point. It's just some box or system that is analyzing flows, detecting anomalies, traffic that is out of baseline. And then knows, okay, I've got an issue here with this kind of traffic. Yeah, correct. Arbor Systems, they play in that space, right? Yeah, they're the, they're the 800-pound gorilla in that, you know, if you're looking at it for a commercially available, you know, flow collection and traffic analysis tool, they've been around for a long time and been doing it. Uh, Danny McPherson, who founded that company, was one of the early kind of DOS mitigation uh, experts in our industry. So, you know, there are other companies that have some commercial tools and then there are some open source tools like PM accounting and uh, NFSIN and NFDump that allow you to kind of build your own tools similar to what Arbor does. But yeah, that's essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about a server that sits out on the network somewhere. All the routers and switches in the network are exporting their flow data to this tool and this tool that's running on a server is analyzing that information to figure out what the attack looks like. Then is it that bot- Box that is going to speak BGP to my uh, BGPAS and inject these flow spec uh, NLRIs? Yeah, so there's a number of ways you can go from kind of baselining and profiling what the attack looks like to that flow spec route being injected into your network. And a lot of the tool, like Arbor, for example, does have the ability to create BGP flow spec routes based on its detection of an attack and its, its profiling of an attack. So what you'd have to do is create an internal BGP session between your Arbor server and your edge routers and your service provider network. Um, You can either have it do it automatically when it detects an attack, which is probably a little scary for most people to not have some sort of human intervention there to make sure that that sanity checked. Or the other option is for it to create some sort of alarm or an SNMP trap into your monitoring system and have somebody in your, your operations center go in and say, yeah, that makes sense. That probably is an attack. Go ahead and create the flow spec now that I've acknowledged that that is in fact an attack. The other option is to also, like I said, have the have the trap or some sort of alarm go off and then have somebody go and figure out what the profile of that traffic looks like and go in and manually create a flow spec route. Maybe the provider has set up some sort of a route server where they inject these type of routes into their network as opposed to having Arbor or their analytics server have to operate and do both functions. So there's a couple different ways to accomplish it. Is it more typical for a human to be involved in that process before actually injecting flows back? I mean, just what you've seen in practice dealing with service providers and so on. Yeah, I mean, if you've been around service providers long enough, you know, <laughs> automation tends to come back and bite you at some point. So I think most providers have gotten bit enough in the past with fully automated solutions like that, they like to at least have some human interaction in there saying, mm, yeah, I sanity check that. That makes sense. Let's go ahead. Or no, nah, wait a minute. That seems crazy. Let's let's not do that. I mean, you hear all these stories from service providers and what they're wanting to do with SDN and the way they want to automate certain things and the scale at which they operate. And to my mind, I guess I would have assumed this was uh, one of those things that they would have automated. But I guess uh, I guess not. Well, it's it's probably a comfort over time thing too, right? And you know, maybe after you've you had a human check it for you know six months or whatever, and every attack seemed to line up, and like, okay, I have some level of comfort that this thing is doing what I expect it to do. I'll go ahead and flip the switch and let it do it automatically. But I would think at first you're going to want to have manual intervention because let's let's be honest, what's going to happen here is if we advertise a BGP flow spec route that is blocking traffic that it shouldn't. It's going to advertise it out to all of our edge routers, and those edge routers are going to block that traffic and potentially block legitimate traffic. And 
that's not good. It's kind of like the heyday of uh, of IPSs with false positives, a similar sort of a problem. And so most much of the world seems to prefer IDS as opposed to IPS because you just can't, you know, false positives are, are not acceptable. You'd rather yeah. have a, you know, a human looking at the IDS logs and then making a, a decision from there. Hmm. Yeah, they're hard to explain to your executives when it goes wrong, right? Exactly. However, I've done it, whether there was a human involved, detection box, an automated system, et cetera. When a BGP speaker receives a flow spec NLRI or flow spec route, I guess you're calling them, what, what happens? Yeah, so essentially what it's doing is it's going to convert that flow spec route into, depending on what vendor you're talking about, they either call it ACLs or firewall filters, um, and apply it to all of its interfaces. So essentially, we're looking at on every incoming interface, we're going to filter the traffic based on the source and destination IP address or the information that was in the NLRI, and then we're going to take the action that was specified in that community. So we're either going to do filter-based forwarding or policy-based routing that mat- on the traffic that matches our flow spec uh, definition, or we're going to drop it. And so that, uh, and, and as a BGP speaker that receives that flow spec route, am I also going to announce that flow spec route to whoever else I'm peered with? Yeah, it's going to work just like any other BGP NLRI. So the same rules for IBGP versus EBGP apply, whether you're going to advertise that on or, or not advertise it on. You're going to look for AS loops, so you have loop prevention, just like Got you it. do with any other type of BGP advertisement. Okay. Okay, so it's not like, well, you know, there's certain uh, NLRIs you can communicate, depending on the community string or depending on how they're uh, interpreted, you don't pass them on. They go with you and they die with you, and that's it. So, Okay. And you uh, could do that with flow spec. So you could attach a community to it that says do not announce or do not uh, cross the AS boundary or, or whatever. So the same the same type of and that's one of I guess another advantage we didn't really cover before. That's one of the another advantage that in, in my opinion flow spec has over some of the other methods is since we are using BGP and it is an BGP and LRI, the same filtering methods and the same communities and so forth that we had with other type unicast BGP advertisements for example apply to flow spec as well. So there's another thing here that the BGP implementation running on this router has to understand a flow spec and LRI and and effectively you're programming the fib, you're pushing uh, an ACL entry into hardware here uh, to to make this go. So you've got to have a box that can deal with it and you've got to have a BGP implementation that understands it. Is that pretty ubiquitous or is that you know uh, you know harder to come by if you will? Yeah, I think there's really that. That's really two questions. So the first one is, does your control plane and BGP code support flow spec? And you know, flow spec's been around since 2009, so we're going into like the seventh year here. Most of your major routing stacks that support BGP are supporting flow spec at this point. Um, you know, whether it be open source stuff like Quagga and Bird and XABGP, or whether we're talking about commercial software from the likes of Cisco and Juniper and ALU. I guess they're called Nokia IP these days. You know, all these guys at this point are are supporting flow spec in in their BGP code in the control plane. I now, mean, I it suppose com- it's another issue about whether the service writer is running a rev of code that would support it. I don't know how yeah. much they keep up, but yeah, that's always a challenge when new technology comes out, whether we're talking about you know, this particular technology or any t- other thing like EVPN or you know any of the latest and greatest technologies that are coming out. There's 
there's a number of steps from it being ratified by the IETF to it actually being running in production certified or networks. And, you know, the vendors have to implement it. The vendors have to implement it in code that the service providers are comfortable running. The service providers have to go then and upgrade all of their devices, which doesn't happen overnight when you run a large network and so forth. So it, it does, there is a delay, obviously, um, between new technology coming out and existing and service providers actually implementing it and feeling comfortable with it, for sure. Now, we've been talking about this in the context of just the service provider network, the service provider doing the detection, uh, making the decision, injecting the flow spec route. If I'm the customer, can I do that detection myself and just announce to my service provider, hey, kill these, you know, or take some action on these flows that I'm going to send you in flow spec? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. That's a good point that we kind of glossed over here. Part of that probably goes back to my service provider background. I tend to, to go to what I'm what I'm used to. But yeah, if you're an enterprise customer who, who's a customer of a service provider, there, you can do the detection in your own network. So there's nothing stopping you from own, having your own, let's say, Arbor set up or your own open source uh, software that's detecting this and creating flow spec and advertising it within your network and blocking it at the edges of your network. The holy grail, I think, for an enterprise customer is to be able to then turn and send those flow spec routes to their service provider and have the service provider blocked at the edge of the network because that protects their circuit from the service provider. It's of somewhat limited use if, I, if I'm an enterprise customer and I block it within my network, but my circuits that I'm buying right. from my service <laughs> yes. provider are still full. I'm still exactly. back, right? So <laughs> Thanks for um, filling my line. I am throwing it away, but this is not helping at all. Yeah, right. Right. 90% of the stuff you're sending me, I'm throwing away. Thanks for that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there, the technology exists, and this is one of the things that I think is really powerful about FlowSpec when we as an industry get to the point where, where we're a little more comfortable with it and it's more widely used, is that the technology exists for this to be an inner AS advertisement. So an enterprise could very easily advertise the FlowSpec route to their service provider for them to, the, in turn, uh, advertised all their edge routers and block it at the edge of the service providers network, and for the service provider in turn to advertise it on upstream to their peers, right? Because really, the way the internet is built is a whole bunch of service providers interconnected with one another, right? So, from the very edge of the network, the resource that's being attacked, if we could inject the flow spec route there and have it basically go backwards out to all of the sources, that's really the the dream here is to be able to block it as close to all the sources as possible. Let's take that situation there and think about it from a scaling perspective. I mean, in in theory, there would be millions and maybe billions of attacks going on across the network, across the global internet at any given time. I mean, you couldn't actually propagate flow spec globally, if you see what I'm saying, because there wouldn't be enough room and routers to handle all those entries, or am I thinking about it wrong? No, you, you're thinking about it right. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the challenges. Yeah, if there's you know millions of attacks, there's not that amount of space to store the routes. And quite honestly, the scaling limit you're going to hit before you hit your number of route scale is really the entry in the FIB scale, right? As mm-hmm. with most things, right? I mean most most of your modern routers can hold twenty-ish million routes in the rib, but not nearly that many. Maybe a, a you know a tenth of that in their fib. Same thing with flow spec, right? What we're really doing here is converting these routes into firewall filters or access lists, and that's a pretty precious resource on a lot of on the modern routers, right? I mean, most even with a custom ASIC, you you have a finite amount of space to store access lists that's somewhere in the thousands. You know, maybe say sixteen thousand firewall filters that a modern router will allow you to to do. So we definitely can't go into the millions of routes with flow spec. So that's 
that is one, I guess, limit on the scale that we could do here. But still, being able to share flow spec data, uh, you know, across boundaries it has a use case, and it seems plausible that that data could get aggregated and uh, and have a global positive impact through aggregation, um, something like that. It, the point being, the technology is there. We, we don't have a system built to do anything with all of that data at this point. Plus, it seems like there's a trust issue across boundaries. Yeah, and, and quite honestly, you know, it's easy for me to say since I'm not the one having to do it. But I think there's enough policy engine around BGP that the trust issue we can get around, right? If I'm a service provider, I can put a maximum amount of prefixes I allow my customer to send me. I can put a maximum amount I will push down to the FIB. I can protect my resources pretty good. The knobs exist in technology to protect my resources pretty good. So I think the trust issue we can get around. The scaling issue is something we're still going to have to figure out as an industry. So I want to go back to something I brought up earlier, which was that of OpenFlow. Um, and this and FlowSpec does remind me in a lot of ways of OpenFlow. And I know there's at least one DOS mitigation tool based on OpenFlow that uh, Brocade puts out. And I'm not trying to conflate FlowSpec with OpenFlow, but do, do you think there's a fair comparison there? Yeah, I think, you know, from a use case perspective, there's definitely, and I, you know, I'm familiar with the, the Brocade OpenFlow use case, and it's, it's definitely very interesting. I mean, from, from a high level, we're doing the same thing, right? We're somehow profiling the attack and using the technology to block that traffic in the forwarding plane. One thing that I think is makes BGP flow spec a little bit more powerful is this NRAS option, right? The ability for an enterprise to advertise it to their provider. As far as I'm aware, there's no way to do that with, with OpenFlow, right? Normally, OpenFlow, you have your own SDN controller within your own network that talks to your devices, but I, I don't know of a provider out there that's allowing their enterprise customers SDN controller to talk open flow to their devices. Right? No, right. I mean, the open flow solutions are are centralized, right? And you've got a controller that is talking to specific routers in that controller's domain. And there's, right, at that point, it's directly programming as opposed to distributed control plane where you're able to share with whoever it is that you're peered with. It's a different mechanism at that point. So, yeah, you're right. You're You're making the point here that with, you're taking advantage of the BGP network that already exists with uh, uh, all of the neighbor relationships and peering that's gone on and uh, and the fact that we've got an entire internet built, to, connected with BGP, and using it as a transport to communicate these flows as opposed to OpenFlow, which doesn't – it simply does not work uh, in that way. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and you know – th- BGP is a is a pretty powerful tool, and it's probably lucky we don't have Greg on today. He'd be <laughs> ranting about how BGP is a terrible protocol. But you know the beauty of, the beauty of it is whether we like it or not, whether it has its shortcomings or not, and it, it does exist in the internet, right? I mean that's essentially the pro- protocol that the internet is built on, and it is an extensible protocol, so we can extend it by allowing it to advertise these type of information, and it works well enough. And in my opinion, at least. I, I guess you could argue maturity here. You know, OpenFlows continues to develop and comes along, and there's new standards, et cetera, being released, but you know, BGP's been around longer, eh? Yeah, I mean, that's that's another point that I would argue is, I mean, FlowSpec's been around, just that piece of the BGP spec has been around since 2009, so we're going on seven years. Um, you know, OpenFlow's kind of the new cool kid in town, but what, you know, its stability and its support across multiple devices is still is still coming. But it'll be interesting to see as, as the industry develops which one gets more traction. Well, we had talked about BGP 
flow spec and how widely it's deployed. I mean, and you're kind of an evangelist for the technology. You want to see flow spec out there more. So first of all, where is it today? I mean, what vendors are supporting? I think we mentioned Cisco. Of course, you work for Juniper. I know there's support there. Alkalu slash Nokia. Are there other hardware vendors that are supporting BGP flow spec in their BGP stack? Those are the ones that I know of off the top of my head. You know, I, th- I think, and this is one of the reasons that I'm kind of evangelizing this uh, idea of flow spec is I'd love to see it in more. You know, I mean, we kind of consider Cisco, Juniper, and ALU Nokia to be the three big guys for for routers. But the reality is, there's a lot of companies out there that are running, you know, whether it's brocade switches or Arista switches or whatever. There are other things that people are starting to do routing on, and until you know, all of these devices are supporting flow spec. It's going to be of less, uh, you know, less ramification or less less adoption than we'll see when everybody supports it. Now, by the way, when we say support it, what level of support do we typically see? Like when, oh, we support BGP flow spec now. Does that mean the entire RFC, everything in it is supported? Or is there kind of partial implementations that we see sometimes? Well, it's like anything else. Yeah, sometimes you will see some some partial implementations. For what I've seen with flow spec, though, it's uh, at least the, the RFC that we've had, 5575 that we've had since 2009, normally once it's implemented, that whole thing is implemented. So it's not usually like some of our other implementations where one vendor picks their pieces, another vendor picks their pieces. It's usually got pretty good interoperability between the major vendors because it's fairly straightforward in, in what you add when you add support for flow spec on the pure software side where it's uh, you know open source packages we met for example we mentioned quag and bird there was arbor with their box and their software implementation that can speak flow spec uh, you mentioned ExaBGP. A- anything else out there? You know, like, I, so if it's Quagga, I could download that and play with FlowSpec myself in a lab, I suppose, if I wanted to, eh? Yeah, that's the, the kind of the idea. And uh, to my understanding, Quagga, Bird, and ExaBGP, all three are open source uh, software that support FlowSpec. So you can download it, play with it in your lab, try it out, you know, maybe connect it to a, to a device in your lab to see how it works and, and so forth. So it's a low barrier to entry to, to play around with the technology and figure out how it works. Than Arbor being that detection engine, anomaly engine that can do a lot of things. And one of the things it can do is speak flow spec to, uh, to inject routes if you want it to do that. A uh, big commercial product, and you, as you put it, the 800-pound gorilla in its space. Uh, anybody else come to mind in that uh, side of things? You know, honestly, that's kind of, I haven't kept up with that since I haven't been in a service rider in almost a decade. But uh, no, they're the, one, they're the main one that I'm aware of. All right. I'm sure there are others out there, but... So, so we've established there's some amount of uh, support out there, but if we want to see wider adoption, say I'm a customer, I'm listening to this and I'm going, oh my gosh, I want this. Uh, I, want, I think the support should be there for that. How do they go about asking for this? Yeah, again, one of the reasons that I kind of picked this to evangelize is I think the more people hear about it, the more they're like, oh, yes, I really want this, the more they'll talk to their vendors. And, you know, if it's not one of the ones that we've already listed that supports it, they can go to their, you know, their vendor account team and say, hey, I need this, please add this. You know, from there, if you're an enterprise customer, start tell, telling your providers that, you know, want to be able to advertise them flow spec routes. Like we mentioned earlier, if, if you can only do it internally to an enterprise network and you're your circuits from your provider are getting filled up, it's of limited usage. But the more, I think, enterprise customers approach their providers and say, hey, we want this, we want to do this, the more we'll start to see it, it mm. take traction. Like anything, and of course, if you're a, a customer with a big dollar uh, spend that you do at your vendor every year, I'm pretty sure they're going to listen to you. 
Yeah, let's be honest. Hardware vendors and service riders don't exist to just be to be charities, right? They are for-profit companies that when customers show up with dollars in hand, things get done, right? And whether we like that or not as network engineers, that's the way the world that we live in works. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Justin, let me ask you kind of a closing question here. Is BGP flow spec done or is development continuing on it? Yeah, I mean, I like to joke that in networking, nothing is ever done, right? We always learn lessons. We figure out, well, you know, 80% of that worked, but 20% was a complete miserable failure. Let's go back and do that over again, right? So flow spec is really no different. There, There are things that it does well. I think the idea has merit, and that's why, you know, I've, one of the reasons I've picked the, this t- technology to kind of try and evangelize, but it's not done by any means. Um, there are still some shortcomings with it. There are some things that we have learned as as people, as the early adopters have started to deploy it that we want to get fixed. A few specific idea, uh, examples that come to mind are IPv6 support. Um, that's just recently been ratified by the IETF and the vendors, the hardware vendors are starting to implement it. The idea of doing an IP redirect instead of redirecting it to a layer three VPN, maybe I don't want to have my scrubbing center be inside of a VPN. So that type of um, a, a redirect advertisement is being added. And then this concept of what we call interface sets. And essentially what that means is I can somehow specify a certain set of interfaces that I want the filter to be applied to. Whereas today, if I advertise flow spec to my router, it's going to apply it to all the interfaces. And maybe I only want it to provide it. I only want it to apply it to the edge interfaces. I don't want it to apply it to the core facing interfaces in my network, for example. Interesting. That last thing particularly sounds, my brain's going, how would you actually define that? It sounds complicated. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's a couple ways I think that you could potentially do that. One is to specify some bit in the advertisement that says, you know, like a community for edge and a community for core. And then within your router, you match that community and you already have the interfaces defined. Because obviously the router is going to have to have something in its configuration that says these are interfaces that are edge interfaces. These are interfaces that are core interfaces. If you think of it as like um, administrative distances on MPLS advertisements, right, where you do link coloring and so forth. Well, okay. Justin, any parting thoughts here on, uh, on FlowSpec? Because we, we burned through all of my questions. Yeah, no, I think, uh, like I said, I, I, I encourage people to download, if you want to download the open source code, play with it, try it out, talk to your hardware vendors about it, talk to your service providers about it. I think the more people that are interested in it and are evangelizing it and pushing it, the, the better this technology will get. And uh, if you're looking for more information on FlowSpec, want to read up more about it, um, I've got some links in the show notes at PacketPushers.net. You can, this is a Priority Q show, so PacketPushers.net, hit Priority Q at the top uh, toolbar, and it will take you into all of our library of Priority Q shows, and uh, you'll find the show notes for this show on BGP FlowSpec. I've got links to RFCs, uh, link to one of your presentations, Justin, that you did at a, at a Nanog, Nanog 63, I believe. Yep. Uh, and then a YouTube video, I think, of that uh, that same presentation. And uh, and then I guess you wrote a uh, you wrote a one a day one Juniper book, right? Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with Juniper's day one books, the idea there is you're supposed to be able to take a topic that you know very little about in a one eight hour day with no interruptions. If that ever happens in your life, you can read through this uh, book and and get to be somewhat of an expert on the topic. So I did write one on uh, deploying BHP flow spec. Uh, you know, obviously it's going to be specific to using Juniper's technology around that, but it, it goes through a lot of the stuff we've talked about at a high level about how the technology works as well. 
And is that a free book or is that a pay? Yeah, it's, if you go and get the PDF off our website, I think you're going to put the link in the show notes. You can download the PDF for free if you want to be able to get it uh, either on iTunes, iBook Store, or on the Amazon Kindle Store. I think there's a small like one or two dollar fee just for processing of that. But mm. yeah, I've downloaded several of those PDFs over the years. They're um, they're a consistently good resource from uh, from Juniper. Well, Justin, are you uh, are you social? I mean, how do, how can people follow you? Do you blog or tweet anything like that? Yeah, I'm a pretty lazy blogger. Um, you will once in a while see a blog for me out on Juniper's corporate. Uh, we call them forums, but they're essentially blogs. Um, you know, I do have a LinkedIn profile. I do tweet from time to time, so you know that's probably the easiest way to follow me is on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm Justin Ryburn, all one word, on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Well, great. Justin, thank you very much for taking the time, for proposing the show to Packet Pushers. You came to us an email and said, hey, I want to talk about FlowSpec. And then as I dug in, I was like, yeah, this is really cool technology. So uh, thanks again for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at PacketPushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can like us on Facebook. And please give us a good rating on iTunes. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.